the more you can build an understanding that your product of today might become a feature of tomorrow, the better. <laughs> Everything that we build, we built just evolving and learning as we do. And 2,200 people were probably one of the largest, if not the largest distributed company in the world. You need to be very active in maintaining the culture. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague, Oren Younger. Hey, Oren. Hey, Glenn. And we are thrilled to welcome Shai Bannon to the show. Shai is the co-founder and CEO of Elastic, a search company that makes data usable in real time and at scale for enterprise search, observability, and security use cases. Elastic is deployed globally, and the company's origins began in 2004, while Shai was building a search engine for his wife's recipes in their London apartment. We're going to have to ask about that. Shai built Elasticsearch, the product, in 2009, open-sourced it in 2010, then co-founded the company Elastic with three co-founders, Stephen, Ori, and Simon in 2012. And the company quickly rose through the ranks, ultimately raising over $160 million in funding before a very successful IPO in 2018. So today we're going to be asking Shai about the 17-year-old, 17-year uh, evolution of Elastic and how the open source community uh, an open source model has helped shape the company into what it is today. Shai, thanks for joining Founder Real Talk. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Oren. Happy to be here. So let's start from the beginning. In 2004, uh, you built the recipe app Compass for your wife. How did that lay the foundation for what is today Elastic? Yeah, it was interesting. So uh, back in 2004, my wife decided to go and decided to be a chef at the Cordon Bleu. We lived in Israel and you know, we decided to move to England because apparently there's a Cordon Bleu in England as well, in London itself. So she went to study there. I was out of a job and I was trying to get myself acquainted with all the, you know, the buzzwordy technologies that are going on to make myself more attractive to the employment industry, if you will. Uh, I remember landing in London in 2004. It was a very different London. I, Coming from Israel, I was like, where are all the startups? Let me go and join a startup. Uh, and then I realized, quickly realized that there's not many startups back then in London. Obviously, things have changed. And, you know, ended up going and working in the financial industry. And when I was trying to learn this new technology, the best way that I know how to learn things is by building them. So I just try to go and build something. And I thought a recipe app would be great. Actually, the name of the recipe app was iCook, not being very imaginary, <laughs> obviously being an Apple fanboy back then. And as I was building it, I thought that the best way for my wife to interact with the recipes and basically it was anything around, you know, cooking and culinary, if you will, like a knowledge base. It's a search box. So I started to try to implement that search box, find this wonderful early, early open source tool called Apache Lucene. Ended up trying to use it. It was not very easy to use. Ended up creating an abstraction layer on top of it, like any good software developer, you know. And if there's a problem, just create an abstraction layer on top of it. <laughs> Ended up open sourcing that abstraction layer. So that moment, I think it's two important things happen, at least to me personally. The first one was getting into search and, you know, getting in this journey of 
continuously being amazed and humbled by, you know, the power of search and, you know, how much putting a search box in front of someone brings smiles to people's faces and they, you know, uh, they go and they know how to use the data, know how to use the a system that is in front of them. And that also started my journey into open source. Uh, I just open source something, put it on uh, back then in SourceForge and, you know, and CVS and what have you. And really started to learn about open source and engagement with community and things along those lines. Uh, it's been a fascinating ride since then, both the you know the open source track and uh, uh, and the search track, uh, which I'm sure we'll chat about <laughs> during this episode. That's an awesome story. Uh, the story of Elastic is is also unique because you had a group of people all working on their own projects, some of them cooking projects, joining forces to create something bigger and better. How did you all meet? as co-founders and how did you all agree to tackle the same problem? So it, it was interesting. You know, I was uh, engaging in open source and through that started to get acquainted with the Apache Lucene community and getting people to engage around open source. And around 2009, I uh, realized that Compass was a library and, you know, really wanted to build something new in the context of search, you know, something that can store data, make it searchable, run at scale, almost like, no sequel for search back then that no sequel was a thing and um, ended up sitting down and writing Elasticsearch. by the way that was a really hard decision because if i open source compass without knowing anything about open source and ended up finding myself working weekends and nights and basically having a second job not only writing code but like answering questions and community management and everything around that and irc which is like old people's slack <laughs> i remember <laughs> yeah and in 2009, it was, you know, the first time you do it when you don't know something, you know, the, the fact that you don't know it is an excuse. In 2009, when I decided to do it, I already had a kid and that was a really hard decision because I knew that I was signing up for another few years of nights and weekends and, and building a community because I really had the feeling that Elasticsearch, what turned out to be Elasticsearch would be even bigger than Compass. Uh, but I ended up doing it and, you know, it grew very fast and started to, once I open sourced it and released it and, and started to be popular, I quit my job, uh, by the way, you know, went back to my hometown with my wife and, and kid and, uh, and did it for two years on my own, really believing in it. And even during that time, very quickly, an amazing community started to form around Elasticsearch product. And I started to know even more people uh, across the industry that were using the product. Uh, initially, it was mostly around enterprise search use cases and, you know, how do I add a search box to my website? How do I add a search box to my company? But I always believe that search is just a, almost like a fundamental experience that you can provide to any type of data. So always pushed in not being boxed, not putting too small of a box, if you will, around search. And luckily, the, the open source enabled this distribution channel that allowed for so many people to just start to use it and get going. So that allowed me to meet Uri and Simon and who are, you know, two of the co-founders of Elastic. Uh, Simon, a long-time Apache Lucene member. Uri, a long-time friend in the search space all, all the way back to Compass. And through Uri, I've, you know, met Stephen, who was one of the founders of SpringSource, another well-known open source company that had a, you know, a great outcome and it really made a difference in the software world. And we decided to join forces and get started packed my bags, moved to Amsterdam to start the company together with Stephen, Uri, and Simon, and, and went there. Uh, and that was an, an amazing, amazing journey. Even back then, by the way, you know, the 
the community uh, around it is is the one that really mattered. So, you know, the I, I still remember it. It's like once we started the company, the first thing I did was go over the IRC list, you know, on the on the right hand side and go. I know Clinton. I want Clinton to join Elastic because he's been amazing in the community. I know Carol. He wrote the Ruby client for Elasticsearch, so I'd love for him to join Elastic because you know one of the things that I was hoping to change is that I didn't want people's open source work to be their second job. I know how incredibly taxing it is from a like on a personal experience, and I just wanted to create a company also that can support people doing open source or, you know, doing, working on open source so that is a, is a full-time uh, manner. That's awesome. Speaking of spring source, Dave McJanet, who was at uh, early at spring source as well uh, on the marketing side uh, now runs HashiCorp and has uh, one of our companies and has been, been a guest on, on the pod. So it's amazing like how many good people have sort of emanated from a very small, early, you know, small early roots and kind of next gen open source uh, and we want to talk more about community in a moment, but maybe just to focus a little bit on the product as well, you know, like so much momentum has been built around Elastic and more broadly the Elk stack, including Logstash and Kibana as the L and K and the Elk stack. And at, at some point you brought these all together. Walk us through that journey. How did that all happen? And, you know, what what was the compelling moment or moments that got you to realize the realization that 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 ought to happen yeah uh, so it, it actually happened during this i would say probably pivotal two years between 2010 and 2012 before we started the company and after after releasing Elasticsearch, i had my you know focus on building Elasticsearch, focus on trying to answer questions like why is Elasticsearch better than apache solar and you know, similar questions along those lines and really trying to push people to uh, realize the power of data in Elasticsearch and the power of search. And then Jordan came along and he was trying to solve a different challenge, which was, you know, how do how do I create an, an open source logging solution? So he ended up creating Logstash, which is almost like this thing that can take data, can take logs basically from, you know, any data source, transform them, merge them together because they can be very messy. People can get really creative in, uh, in creating very interesting log messages. Don't get me started on date standardization and formats and things along those lines and how do you get like a consistent timestamp. And he actually had a, it was almost like a, a democracy or a, a, a hunger scheme situation because that's how I felt at least, which is like he had a lot of outputs and, you know, an output for Hadoop, an output for MongoDB, an output for Cassandra, and an output for Elasticsearch uh, to store these logs. And I remember Jordan popping up on RSC and asking question about, questions about Elasticsearch. And I was curious, hey, like, what is this Logstash project? And I, we started to build a great relationship. And once I saw Logstash, my eyes lit up. Like, I, I knew about Splunk and I knew about the logging space, but it was it felt like it was a huge opportunity to have, you know, free and open and open source disrupt a space that felt very, you know, there was like one big incumbent, closed source solutions, and it hasn't been, it hasn't innovated as much. And if you remember back then, DevOps was just starting. Right? It's like, I think there was like a lot of movement that was going around this space. So I spent so much time trying to make Elasticsearch win that Hunger Games <laughs> tournament 
uh, of where would it be the best place to store logs? And, you know, I think it won because it had the unfair advantage of search, but also because it was built with these generic aspects that it can store any type of data and make it searchable, right? So it's like Apache Solo was not as useful as, as you know, as a tools. And then Logster started to become popular. And obviously that confluent of event around disruption that comes through free and open within that logging market uh, started to emerge. Uh, Jordan is a wonderful friend and, and a great developer, one of the best that I know. He's an assembler. There's like a unique skill, I think, in that, just the ability to go and take a lot of technologies and assemble them well together. But he's a really bad UI developer. Uh, so the, the Logstash UI was not pretty. And then someone else, Rashid, uh, ended up sitting there and trying to set up this you know, Elasticsearch and Kibana and, and uh, Logstash and using Logstash UI. And it was pretty crappy, the UI itself. So he decided to build Kibana. And then once I saw Rashid building Kibana, I got excited because I thought that, man, like we can build functions and capabilities into search that can make even visualization better, not only just the pure search exploration mm. of logs. Mm. And we just built a great relationship together and these projects ended up becoming more and more successful. And when we started the company, going back to what I said before, the first thing that I wanted to do was just to get my you know, good friends and people that have spent their second job basically building open source tools uh, to Elastic and support them because it's a responsibility that I felt I had for people that invested so much time in their nights and weekends to you know make the community better. And also, by the way, a responsibility to the community uh, because then you can make sure that people you know work on these projects as you know as their you know prime time, if you will, or uh, full time employment aspect. So what, right when we started the company, I tried to convince Jordan and and Rashid to join. Rashid was easier, uh, and he joined very quickly. And we immediately embarked on building Kibana three. And Jordan took a little bit longer, but he also joined. And you know, and since then, it's been an amazing ride with them. That's great. We often tell our portfolio companies to look for their committers from the community and, and try to hire them. And it seems like you've been an avid supporter of this from, from, from day one. And, and so it's really awesome to see how it paid off for Elastic. By the way, I think, I think an interesting aspect around it is that for, I don't know, for the first three years, I think I wrote 99.5% of the Elasticsearch code base. You know, so it's like, I think the important part about, to me, about open source, but the reason why I did it, and it was totally unsustainable, like I worked my, you know, my butt off <laughs> to do that, <laughs> was I just, I, I feel so responsible, so much, such a responsibility for people that ended up using the software. Like I have this thing of like, I, I feel a lot of responsibility for it. And if there's a bug, I have to go and fix it. If someone has a question, I have to go and answer the question in the forum. Like my ADD just, just doesn't allow me to let it linger. So I ended up writing a lot of the code and uh, answering a lot of the emails around the forum. But more than anything, I think open source is not around the committers to your project. It's about the ecosystem that you create around your project. I think that that's, you know, there's that, that famous Bill Gates quote about platforms. It's like, I think people miss sometimes and get encumbered in the open source aspect itself of the project versus the ability to build a community of not only of people, but of projects around it. And I think that what made Elasticsearch successful, everybody building from language clients to Kibana to 
Logstash to all of the amazing projects that are all the way to today in the security space, in the observability space that are using Elasticsearch and Kibana and Logstash. Kibana became a platform that you developed into, and that's exciting. And I would encourage people to encourage their community to do that, uh, and then obviously support them uh, the way that we did in the early days. Very cool. Maybe we could delve a little deeper into into the community itself. Maybe in order to get an ecosystem going, you've got to appeal to developers who ultimately need to get excited about your project, use your project, and build some groundswell around it. The DevRel function these days feels like every company Orin and I are involved with is t- talking about building a DevRel function, although nobody really knows uh, what what that means. But you know, back in back in 2012, this was probably not you know not the case. It was a uh, developer relations to the extent it existed was a bit of a black art. Curious, like how much of your how did you go about building a DevRel function at, at Elastic and engaging your community? You know, how did you staff that group? How much of your personal time? It sounds like a lot was involved with you know evangelizing, teaching, and trying to energize the community in the early days. Yeah, I think it's a great question. So first of all, we have a saying at Elastic that a community is a company's responsibility. It's not like a single function responsibility. Like everybody ends up engaging with our community, uh, whether they go in, you know, we have, we're a distributed company, whether they go to a meetup and then you end up engaging with the community, whether you end up answering the questions on the forums and anybody can answer a question on the forum, uh, whether you go and engage on GitHub, whether... You talk at a conference. Like that's that's always happening in every moment that you have. If you open the prism and engage with your user base as much as possible, then that's that's basically a company's responsibility. Uh, in the early days, that's early days before like the DevRel function was really formalized, it definitely felt like that. So, you know, I, I was I, I said that I was just in the early days writing most of the code for Elasticsearch, but most of the time was not spent on writing code. It was spent on IRC, on helping users, on forum, on GitHub. I think the amazing thing that sometimes people miss about open source is that it's not about a license or or an open source version or something along those lines. It's about the fact that basically there's no barrier between the consumers of your product and the producers of the product. And then when you when you remove barriers in any market, when you remove barriers between consumers and producers, like magic happens. And any day, anytime, someone can go on GitHub, for example, open a bug or suggest an enhancement. And the person that is going to answer is probably someone that developed the software. And like that's exciting. And you know that when you remove any barriers, it means that you have really fast feedback loop between the people that actually use your software and the people that actually build the software. And that's that's when I think you you build like a really highly resilient system that can move fast and you know solve actual problems versus imaginary ones. <laughs> that makes sense. And when you have that, that's basically to me community engagement. You know, like that's GitHub, that's forums, that's you know talking on conferences and we encourage everybody at Elastic to go and do that. Unrelated to engineering, unrelated to to any level of function. As you gain scale, though, uh, I think there's help in having people that specialize in some of, of the forms that you do in order to help activate the whole company, right? It's like, it's the same way that when we started Elastic, I did the training, 
I think it was probably a mistake for me to still do, tra- <laughs> still do training <laughs> at Elastic. But I did all the training. I was the first SA at Elastic and went in the streets of New York trying to convince banks to buy our software, for example. Uh, I think it would be a mistake if I'm, I'm the SA of Elastic. <laughs> so you end up hiring people that specialize in specific functions like DevRel, and they play a pivotal part but you really get leverage out of any function, I think, including DevRel, if they if the focus is on activating the rest of the company. So it's like don't let the the whole company be distracted by the details because that's why you have a specialized functions to go and deal with it, but also enable the whole company to go and engage more effectively with the community because that's that's what makes a difference. Love it. Shaz, Elastic Roots are in the observability space, but today Elastic is is much more than that. And you, you touched on it. You're offering search capabilities. You're offering security solutions. Many great founders we interviewed on, on the show talk about the importance of focus. When do you think it is the right time to build a multi-product strategy and to go after multiple user groups? I, I think it's a, uh, first of all, I think it's a great question. And I can at least tell you my experience with that. The first one I would say, and I would talk about the best enterprise companies in the world, I believe, are ones that live almost like in two planes of existence. And they manage to wrap their head about both. The first one is building a platform. And the second one is building contextualized solution on, into that platform, hopefully into that platform. And if you manage to do both, that's amazing because it's really hard to get users to adopt a platform because it has like, what should I use you for? Then the answer is, well, use me for anything. And you're like, yeah, but give me a clue. And you're like, what do you want to do? And it's like, there's a back and forth that is like kind of like circles around anything. And if you only build a one contextualized solution uh, and if you only focus on that, then it's really hard to go and build another one if it's not being built into a platform, right? Because then it means that you're almost like duplicating all of your efforts in in trying to build another one. So typically when I hear someone says, hey, like you need to have a lot of focus to not go into another product category or something like that, it's a very different discussion if they're built into a platform or if they're not, because it's like 10x or 100x more difficult if you're not built into a platform. Now, what we've done at Elastic is that we've spent time building into the Elastic stack or the Elastic platform for years. So it's like you amortize our platform efforts for years, uh, for the years since we started, to make sure that we built all of our solutions and capability into the same one. So enterprise search, observability, and solution and security, fast forward to today, they're all built into the same platform. Like you download Elastic to your laptop, it's the same, deployed on cloud, run it on a thousand machines. It's the same product. You can now go and crawl a website while you observe, collect logs, while you do APM, while you do endpoint security, while you do SIM, for example. And you can do everything with the same product. Now, around the focus, I'll tell you the history of of Elastic. I think we started with with enterprise search use cases, quickly started to use logs, and that became our biggest use case because it was just exploding and it was up there and the market conditions were, were, were set and I think the product was good. And then we started to see more types of data coming into Elasticsearch. Again, part of us being open and community, and we started to see APM data coming into and being stored in Elasticsearch. And we said, why is logs next to APM data? Does that make sense? And then as we looked into it, we actually realized that logging is not really a product. It's not really a market. And APM is not really a product and not really a market. They're really just two data streams trying to solve a bigger problem. 
And when you realize that, then even like the question of, do you want to get into a new market becomes irrelevant? Because it's like, if you don't do it, then you will become irrelevant in two to three years when the market converges into a, a single one. Like once you see that. And I think my, one of the advices that I, could, I would have to founders is the more you can build an understanding that your product of today might become a feature of tomorrow, the better. <laughs> like products become features. Don't get in love with them. It's fine if they want today's product become a feature of a bigger product. That's perfectly fine. I, and when we saw that, by the way, we went and joined forces the same way that we did with Kibana and Beats and Logstash. Uh, we found a wonderful company in Copenhagen. Uh, again, we're very distributed that built an APM solution already using Elasticsearch. We bought the company or joined forces with them and got into the APM market. And when we got into the APM market, it was interesting to see because we got a lot of bad feedback about it. <laughs> like people <laughs> were saying, why do you get into APM? It's a distraction. Uh, focus on logging. It's a don't stretch yourself too thin. You're going to dilute your efforts and what have you. But if you look now, observability happened. And I think if we didn't do that at the right time, we would have been way behind when it comes to getting into the APM market. So as a founder, you need to balance that and make sure that you don't dilute your effort. But at the same time, you have a responsibility to make sure that you're looking around the corner of the market and making sure that you're doing the right thing. And was a similar thing that we did in security when we got into SIM, which was relatively straightforward because logs and SIMs are almost the same thing. But when we bought an endpoint security company about a year and a half ago, and it was the same deal. Like, why do you get into endpoint security? We just focus on SIM or SIM and things along those lines. And I think if you look today, you start to see that the stories about the data and endpoint security and cloud security, and really it's about these products becoming features of something bigger. So products of today can become features of tomorrow. And, you know, I'm reminded of the Wayne Gretzky quote, right? You need to skate to where the puck is going. Uh, it sounds yeah. like you guys have you guys have done a lot of that. Elastic has, has been an incredibly fast-growing company for many years now. Just to, to put some of the vanity stats out there, you went public in 2018. And since that time, you've tripled the number of uh, subscription customers to over 15,000. Uh, you've grown... Revenue incredibly fast. Last fiscal year, revenue grew to over 600 million, which was over 40% growth year on year. And at the same time, cloud, which is a newer part of your business, is growing even faster. It's, I think you said uh, cloud revenue grew 80% or more this last fiscal year to over 200 million in, in run rate now. So over, over a quarter of, of your total revenue, which is really incredible. Uh, and I, I guess I, one question we had for you was around cloud and, and launching cloud. I remember you talked a little bit about the cloud business when you went public. So it was already out. It was already part of your your repertoire, but it's become it's obviously growing faster than the total company. It's becoming a bigger and bigger part of your business. Can you talk a little bit about the cloud? Like, why is it important? Why now? Is this a solution for like a different segment of the market or are larger enterprises adopting cloud today? What's going on in that in that part of the market? A few things about it. So maybe with some, you know, if you will, vanity metrics, one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we're two around 2,200 people. So 2,200 people, very distributed company across 40 different countries uh, with north of 30 offices, which I'm happy to talk about the distributed aspect. So that, like, that's, that's even more exciting to me 
or as exciting. Also, part of being a CEO is that you learn a lot of the art of finance, and there's a difference between revenue and ARR. So our ARR <laughs> is higher. We we're only talking about revenue. Uh, and how you recognize revenue. Ah, uh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. And, <laughs> that's totally fair. Uh, and yeah, I mean, cloud is growing extremely fast. You know, it's like, it's interesting about cloud. Since we started Elastic, we knew that we would want to work and have a play in our cloud business. Uh, we actually, I think it was 2000 and around 2013, 14, we actually bought a Norwegian company called Found that was hosting Elasticsearch to start and kickstart our cloud efforts as a company. Now, at the time, you know, you're a small company, you're 30, 40, 50 people. Most of our attention was just to try to get Elasticsearch going and, and Kibana and almost all of our engineering efforts just went into making these products better. But we started this parallel thread with cloud for a very long time because we believed in it. And on a very fundamental level, I mean, cloud makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, you can either run it yourself or you can let someone else run it for you. And why not let someone else run the software for you? Because it's simpler and easier to manage. And especially if they know what they're doing and you know they, they're the people that built the software, they can you know build all the right orchestration tools and capabilities around it to do that. Uh, so we've been investing in our cloud business in the early days you know, a lot of the investments went into the core products, but you know, over the last the, the last few years, we made significant investments into cloud. We believe that, or I believe that, that's going to be the most common way to engage with our software over the long term. You know, if you ask me today, where would I want to run Elastic myself or on Elastic Cloud? The answer would be very easy, Elastic Cloud. I do think that there's you know some situations where people are not still ready to move to the cloud, which is totally fine, and that's why you know we have the strategy of of allowing our customers to still run on prem or, or we call it self manage and then be with them as they transition uh, in their cloud journey and that's a a very strong statement that I, I think we can provide them you know I'm talking to large banks they're still using elastic they're still you know, running on-prem, they have plans to move to the cloud. They have plans to move to multiple clouds. And, you know, we're going to be there for them uh, to support them. One more thing that I would say, at least for a company that builds its products and allow people to run on-prem, you end up evolving in a very interesting way. So, for example, one of our evolution was to be there for our customers wherever they are. So we allow them to deploy on AWS, on Google Cloud, on Azure, on all the major regions that each cloud provider has. And we're trying to run in these cloud clouds as natively as possible. And I think that that happened for two reasons. The first one is that we built the products themselves, like Elasticsearch and Kibana and what have you. And you know, our customers come to us and say, hey, like I'm going to run on AWS, but I'm also going to run on Azure and I'm also going to run in other places. Uh, so we're there for them. The other one that is interesting uh, is that you know, data has gravity to it. And because we're a data company at the core, like we just... We end up being deployed next to people's application, whether to store their, I don't know, the company workplace data, whether it's to store the e-commerce site and analytics for the website that they're using to try to power the search box, uh, whether it's to monitor their infrastructure, whether it's to secure it. Those things generate petabytes of data sometimes. And you don't want to go and take petabytes of data and ship it from one cloud vendor to another, what have you. You want to get deployed next to the places that generate the actual data. 
And due to that, or thanks to that, we ended up creating a really sophisticated cloud offering that you can deploy us next to where the customer is running within their private VPC or private link. Um, we actually develop capabilities to go and search across multiple regions and multiple cloud providers as if it was all the same. And like you can open up a single UI, a single Kibana on top of all of that. Uh, so spend a lot of time trying to almost like get out of the way of the user or the customer as they migrate to the cloud and be the, the thing that they don't have to worry about when they do that because we'll be there for them regardless of where they are. Makes a ton of sense. One question we wanted to ask that kind of is a natural outgrowth of that is, as we've seen with with uh, MongoDB, David Acharya was was uh, was kind enough to join us on an earlier episode. Those guys have seen um, the cloud service providers as they've moved into the, their own, you know, offering their own cloud business have have seen some competition from the clouds who, you know, can take an open source and offer a service themselves. You mentioned earlier, and it really resonates for me, that open source is w- is much more about removing barriers between consumers and producers because you can really shorten feedback loops and create a very dynamic company that really serves users' needs really well. And that has obviously served you guys well. But there is this license thing too. And just, just wanted to ask you know, about your decision. You, you guys have made some modifications to your licenses, including offering a, an SSPL license which you know has had uh, the effect of perhaps giving you some protection from from cloud providers, but I'm sure you know you thought a lot about doing it before you you put it out in the world. Any thoughts on that? Particular, you know, lots of other entrepreneurs and and would be uh, potential founders listen to this 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 pod, and I'm sure would be interested in your your opinion on on licensing and and your your decision to go to an SSPL. First of all, I've a few things about this. We, we spoke about me being in the industry for quite some time and in, in open source since 2004. And I would say that there has been an open source licensing wars since I remember myself, you know, being engaged in that. That was like Apache versus LGPL versus GPL. This is the right license. This is not the right license and exception clauses and what have you. So I, I think we as you know, society really likes to think that we're inventing things, including myself, by the way. But like most of the things that we do really rhyme with the few, with the past. Yeah, history repeats. <laughs> and one thing that I've definitely learned during my time at Elastic and being engaging with the community is just to, to find your first principles, like what really defines you. And I, we were never defined by an open source license at Elastic, like not at one point. I rem- and. We released our software as Apache, Apache license. By the way, the main reason why I released, it, I released it as Apache because Compass was Apache. And the main reason was Compass, my previous open source project was Apache, was because I released it in LGPL. Someone said, hey, like maybe you'll change it to Apache. I said, fine, I don't care about licenses. <laughs> I just changed it to Apache. And I think over the years, you'll see, especially if you talk to younger developers, not like old timers like myself, they don't care that much about the license itself, you know, like they care about the things that we talked about, you know, over the past half an hour, they care about engaging on GitHub. They care about working in a free and open way, being able to take the software and run it themselves uh, on their laptops, on their cloud, and then, you know, potentially using it as a service. They still care about these things. They care about being able to submit patches. They care about the community that they exist at. Is it the respectful community and one that can support them uh, versus not. Like those are the things that I think developers and our our community definitely cares about. 
versus you know a very small minority that used to care and still cares about a specific open source license versus another. And if you look at at least what we've done, and this is I think an important part to to at least understand why we made the change. I have no problems with other cloud vendors taking Elasticsearch and providing it as a service because it's under Apache license and it's fine. It's not like strip mining open source. Like I'm, I'm a big believer that if you do something, you should stand behind the fact that you took action and other people are going to do whatever you know they do. And you know, we released the software in Apache too, and that came with you know certain aspects and people can just take the software and provide it as a service. And the challenge that we had, though, was that we were working really well with, you know, cloud providers from Microsoft Azure to uh, Google Cloud to Tencent and Alibaba in China and a few others. But uh, with Amazon, at least, there was a very challenging relationship. And that challenging relationship was not because uh, they took Elasticsearch and provided it as a service, but because they called the service Amazon Elasticsearch. And they confused our market and made it made it seem like they were the company behind Elasticsearch. And, you know, an easy way to know it is that when we changed the license, the vast majority of the people pinging us were people that were confused that Elasticsearch was not an Amazon, you know, product. And that was that was problematic, you know. And if you look at the history of open source, forget about licenses, Trademark was an important aspect of creating an identity around open source, and you wouldn't steal a trademark. Like stealing the identity of an open source project was considered to be a big no-no. Don't forget the fact that it's illegal. But you know that effectively happened from my perspective in uh, with Amazon. And then the other part was that the company was also going around and saying that you know Elasticsearch were you know kind of like half saying that Amazon was an Elasticsearch service and things like that. Like the communication was very confusing as well. Uh, so we have a, we had a problem with that because, you know, regardless of our success and our community and what have you, Amazon is a big company. And when there's, you know, confusion being driven at that level, that's problematic. We tried to solve it with Amazon multiple times and it didn't move somewhere or anywhere, at least from our perspective. Uh, to a level where to protect the IP and the existence and the identity of Elasticsearch, which is something that is a first principle to me on a personal level. Like, I want to quit my job to create Elasticsearch. I go and fork it, change the name, do anything that you can do with open source. Just don't steal it, if you will. And that was going on. You know, that was basically what was happening over the last five to six years. So we, we felt like the only way for us to go and protect ourselves and the identity of our brand and our product was by changing the license. Uh, and lo and behold, once we changed the license and, you know, you could, they couldn't steal anymore the brand itself, then a fork happened and, you know, they're going to rename the service now. And, you know, the things that we expected to happen are happening as we speak. And that's okay, you know, because that's, again, like that's part of open source. The thing that I'm excited about is that Based on all the metrics that we're seeing, all the engagement, everything around that, our community is just, you know, what we changed the license, not a problem. Because we're still elastic. We're still talking, acting, and behaving exactly the same way. We adopted two licenses, uh, two type of licenses, one that is like BSD, BSD in spirit and one that is, as you know, GPL in spirit in SSPL and the Elastic License V2. We try to give more options to our users. Anybody that reaches us, but they're not Amazon, <laughs> who basically they can just go and use Elastic. It's not a problem. 
uh, and I'm on that mailing list and people ask us questions and we'll, you know, we, I don't remember us saying no, that you like, you can't use the software. You know, that's basically why we ended up doing the change. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think it's important to protect your brand. Uh, I think worrying too much about licenses. If you are a young company, I wouldn't worry too much. I don't think that there's a mistake in going with Apache versus AGPL versus SSPL or something like that. But if I could go back in time, you know, I'll say something maybe a bit controversial, but I wouldn't necessarily trust the legal process as much to give a prompt decision on the trademark issue and would have done the change faster. Like I, I thought that the legal process will move faster than it did in, in practice. That's very insightful. Shai, I, I want to move to, to a topic, baby, that you, you mentioned earlier you, you're, you're more excited about, uh, which is distributed workforce. So Elastic has employees in, in Netherlands and in, in France and Germany and the US. You're in Israel. You're really, really distributed. How are you able to manage the global workforce and maintain company culture? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll start with saying that we kind of like fell into being a distributed company. I remember uh, moving to Amsterdam and then walking down the street and the bookings, booking.com office was right around the corner. And I was like, we're going to be like booking. You know, it's like we're going to have a big office in Amsterdam and your employees will, will move people to Amsterdam and get them to work for Elastic and yeah, everything around that. Uh, and obviously, booking it was a, an inspiring story even back then and even more now. And, uh, and then we just started to hire people. And I felt that it, like I couldn't ask people to move. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a big change and people have families and friends and what have you. It's like asking them to move to Amsterdam is, even though Amsterdam is a great city, might be too much. So we just started to build the system around supporting hiring from our community, supporting our community, but also making sure that we just support people wherever they are. And we kind of like grew into it. And everything that we built, we built just evolving and learning as we do. And, you know, 2,200 people were probably one of the largest, if not the largest distributed company in the world. And it's exciting. Tips about trying to maintain culture. I'll start with saying that you... The first thing that you need to do is to accept the fact that in a face-to-face, all hands in a single room, you're probably going to be have much higher fidelity and much more effective. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, nobody's saying distributed is much better than having five people in a room and hashing something out. Mm-hmm. So, trying to fight between these two things, I don't think it's a it's it's useful. It's about trying to find the balance between these these two aspects. Number one and number two trying to see the value in being distributed. So here's a thought experiment that I was, I was having with myself. When we were about 20 people, we said, oh man, if we were 20 in a room, we could move faster, but we're 20 developers across the globe. And by the way, even though we're used with open source and all the tools and async communication and everything around that, and then I asked, us, I asked a simple question. I said, well, when we were 50 developers, will we be able to get everybody into the same room and try to you know, and try to communicate and figure out how to build something and what have you. And what we realized is that what we were learning as a distributed company was simply preemptive to our next stage of growth. You know, it's like when you're 100 people, maybe you can get the whole company into the same like hallway and, you know, raise a toast for the New Year's or something like that. When you're 500 people, you won't be able to get everybody into the same place. You know what I mean? It's like, 
and anybody you're going to have salespeople that are regional and essays that are regional and sales engineers and regional marketing people. So regardless, you're going to have a, hopefully a distributed company over time. And, and actually by being distributed first, you can be more holistic, but you need to be very active in maintaining the culture. It means to have probably much more written communication and asking communication being communicated to your workforce, defaulting to being open as a company that people can just go and join any mailing list that they want within the company, like an open source project, you know, and just go and start to see what's going on with the information that they have. Because through openness, people feel that they're connected. It's a relationship that is built a lot on trust because you don't see people. You know, like that's another thing that is very interesting. Like it forces to be a, a trusting company. You know, I remember in my early days, I would go to work, probably had it yourself as well. Then I would stay in the evening until my boss left to show that I was working harder. You know, and it's like, and you don't have that ability to hack the system through physical <laughs> context uh, in a distributed fashion. So you have to trust people that they're going to work, not only by seeing them working, if that makes sense. And I think that that's a great foundation. And at the same time, appreciate the fact that you're missing a lot of fidelity uh, when you're not in the office with your team in a single place. So we try to bring people together as much as possible. Uh, we try to do all hands meetings and, you know, and team meetings and things along those lines. And we try to, you know, maintain that human connection as much as possible in a, in a, you know, not too frequent, but, you know, bring people together every once in a while. And I think maybe one more note, people ask me about COVID and, saying like, hey, Elastic was probably like ready to work in the context of COVID and uh, being distributed. And, you know, I said, yes, like we, we already knew where the mute button is on Zoom and <laughs> we knew how to communicate asynchronously and in email and things like that. But then wow, we missed seeing each other. You know, it was, you know, it was very painful for us because we used to have all hands and get people to see each other. We were planning to have an all hands in, uh, in May in Chicago and fly the whole company to a centralized place and we didn't do it like that was painful and you know I haven't seen the whole company face to face for more than a year and a half and that's not great. Shai this has been incredible we're going to move to just a couple of speed round questions to finish up. Yeah, yeah. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. What's a good uh, book or article that you recommend uh, that you've enjoyed that you recommend to other founders? I'm totally going to recency bias all of your questions. So I won't go with the best, <laughs> but I'll just go with my favorite over the last few, over the last year or so. Uh, the Undoing Project, you know, it's like I'm, I'm from Israel. Oh, and yeah. I think the, the most amazing. Amos Tversky and uh, Daniel yeah, Mike, Kahneman. Yeah, Daniel Kahneman. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so I highly recommend reading that. It's a great book. One of the underappreciated experts from Israel, which is like you know, behavioral economics. Is your wife still waiting for her recipe yet? Uh, yes, yes. That has not happened. Though I solved it by indirection, I think, because most of the recipe apps that I'm familiar with are using Elasticsearch behind the scenes to power the search box. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> this has been an incredible episode. You have built a lot over the last uh, decade plus, and Elastic is such a special company. Thank you for sharing with us some of the secrets of, uh, of your success. But I think your wife deserves that recipe app. So <laughs> we know what you should be working on next. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us and, and sharing. This This has been so much fun. Thanks, man. Thanks, Oren. Thank you, sir. Be well. Awesome. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. 
If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, Hellobike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat. <laughs>